The most pleasant exhaustion podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm based in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax, and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation security. Book a call or drop them a line on their website, highechelloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. MPE Coaching is the coaching arm of the podcast. If you like what you hear here and you need help preparing for a big goal, reach out to us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com or mpecoach at gmail.com. Trail races, marathons, triathlons, multi-day relays, we have helped people get ready for all of these things. Our approach is rooted in proven exercise physiology, but we also bring our own experience as coaches and athletes to bear. We specialize in helping adults with busy schedules find ways to build fitness and accomplish their goals. Whether you're looking to complete your first multi-sport race, qualify for Boston or Kona, set a new marathon PR, or simply become a healthier, happier athlete, we can help. Click on the coaching link on the podcast website, www.mostpleasantexhaustion.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude State-of-the-Art Indoor Training Center, they are capable of simulating elevation of up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals, from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons, train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. And Michelle trained there extensively for the Silver Rush 50 in 2023, her first ever 50 mile race that spent a lot of time over 10,000 feet. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing, such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing, which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuels you are burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info@elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or to set up an appointment. Their website is elementalaltitude.com. And finally, our new sponsor for 2024 is Bright Hair. Bright Hair is a creative design studio offering branding, graphic design, marketing, and website design and support. They designed our Most Pleasant Exhaustion logo and they're helping to build our website right now. The folks at Bright Hair are patient and thorough and they listen to your feedback. Their expertise has been critical to our getting our branded merchandise shop off the ground in early 2024. Be sure to reach out to them with any graphic design or marketing needs that you have. 
You can find them at brighthair.com. That's bright, B-R-I-G-H-T, hair, H-A-R-E.com, or on Instagram at bright, period, hair. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the most pleasant exhaustion podcast possible. everybody welcome back to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast brought to you by mve coaching high echelon pc blue pineapple travel elemental altitude training center and bright hair my name is george darden i am an endurance athlete and coach here in atlanta georgia i'm a father of twin boys i'm a college professor and i am a massive zach panning fan My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls, a CPA, and I'm pretty sure I was the first Zach Panning (laughs) fan here. Uh, My name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father to three baby adults, husband to an amazing and beautiful wife, Melissa. And for the first time, I watched the trials end to end. Yes, we've, right on. We've totally like worn off on you. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will, I will definitely take credit for that positive influence, uh, Michelle and me both. So very good. I'd say in a lot of ways you rub off on me, George. So I do appreciate this one though. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the trials. It was a good trials to watch, man. Um, So this is sort of like a special edition here. We're not going to go as long as we normally do. We're going to focus entirely on our experience watching the trials and some of our takeaways from it here. You remember four years ago, Michelle, we recorded the afternoon after watching the trials here in Atlanta in the morning. And I would submit that we probably had the first trials wrap up podcast on the Internet. Probably, but we definitely uh, do. Do not have the first this time because I've already not. listened to everything definitely else not. that there is out there. <laughs> definitely not. So we, we we let it digest here for 24 hours and, and we're going to offer a few of our takeaways, some of which uh, certainly have been uh, mentioned in other places. Um, but but I absolutely loved watching it. Um, I missed watching it with you, my friend Michelle, um, but I had a ball. I, uh, I got up, I ran, um, I... Uh, showered and t- pulled it up on the app on my phone. And then uh, just as the men's race was starting to really light up um, is when I put it on the big screen. And I was definitely one of those people who in the last 40 minutes of the race was out of my chair and like pacing the room and <laughs> talking to the screen and and begging Zach Panning to hang on and and everything. So so yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, uh, the overall experience, even though there was certainly some heartbreak involved, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. Michelle, you watched too, right? But you actually had to watch on delay, didn't you? No, I did, was able to watch oh, it, good. right? Uh, I did watch it. I do have one child down with the flu, so she kind of laid next to me the whole time. Um, I will say that her commentary was that, that was the worst, most boring thing, just <laughs> watching people run in straight lines, but that she <laughs> was so thankful for the commercials or advertisements. Um, she did say something about like she's heard Geico enough for a long time. Mm-hmm. There were many Geico commercials, Me but too. no, I was happy to get to kind of just see it as it played out. So yeah. I was really, uh, yeah, it was good. It was just kind of just just honed in on what was happening, like as it was happening. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Eric, what was your experience watching it? How did you watch it? I was uh, multitasking, as you know, uh, 
instead of uh, watching myself Zwift on the large TV in front of my Zwift setup, I called up Peacock and I watched the trials while I was doing a ride. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I started watching it pre-workout uh, and then I, I watched the rest of it during my workout. So Excellent. Excellent. That's how I watch the World Championships Marathon. It's a good way to get a couple hours worth of working out in for sure. <laughs> well, I looked at it like this. The reason why I've never actually watched a marathon beginning to end is I agree with Alana. It's kind of boring. Um, <laughs> so if I'm going to watch it, I'm going to do something else. I will say though, um, having watched the way that this one panned out, which was pretty exciting on both sides, mm-hmm. I probably could have sat and, you know, eaten ice cream or potato chips while I was mm-hmm. watching it. So like I did, um, not my, my, minus the potato chips and ice cream. Yeah. So let's talk about each of the races here. Um, we'll talk about the men's race first. Um, uh, the men's race started at 10, 10, and it started about the way that you would expect it to start. Uh, they were running a little bit under five minute pace and there was a big pack. Um, through about the first five miles. That's kind of the way that you expect uh, the Olympic trials to start. All the contenders are there. All the favorites are there. Everybody that we talked about in our preview podcast is is still in contact for sure. And of course, the commentators are talking about human interest stuff and they're talking about what it's like to run a marathon and what various people had beforehand to eat and, and, and stuff like that, right? Um, but right there about the five mile mark, Zach Panning, um, who finished 13th in the World Championship Marathon last year as a 211 marathoner, um, uh, who we mentioned uh, in our preview and who Michelle actually named as her dark horse, uh, moves to the lead um, and essentially starts metronomically running miles between about 445 and 450. Um, and they end up going through halfway at about 204 or 104.10, um, so about mid 208 pace, um, but he's keeping it up, keeping it up, keeping it up, such that by the time they get to about mile 16, um, their projected finish time, if he can keep it up, is under 208. It's about 207 and a half. Um, oh. Now, we talked a little bit about some of the qualification process uh, in the preview, and we've talked about it uh, on other podcasts before. But remember, the United States has unlocked two positions on the men's side for the Olympic marathon um, has unlocked two positions. And in order to unlock a third and final position, either we have to, to have somebody finish in the top five at Tokyo or at Boston or at, at London, um, or we need to have somebody run under 20810. And so essentially Zach Panning took it on himself to not only qualify for the team, but to also unlock that third spot during the trials race yesterday. And he was well on his way to doing it heroically in a near solo effort um, until about mile 20 or 21. Um, in the process of him speeding up the pace and, and trying to get under that that uh, standard, that under that 208.10 unlock standard, um, he dropped Paul Chalimo, um, he dropped Scott Fobble, he dropped uh, Galen Rupp, uh, he dropped everybody else that we talked about um, and to where ultimately it was just him and Connor Mance and Clayton Young. Um, the last person to drop off, in fact, was uh, was Andrew Colley, who was from uh, Zap Endurance, uh, coached by a friend of the podcast, Peter Ray. Um, and around there, about 21, 22 miles, there's the three of them together. You're looking at them. You know they're about to qualify for the team. But you can see in Zach Panning's face that he's working real hard. 
Um, and the effort of the last 15 miles is really starting to show on him. Um, eventually, Connor Mance and Clayton Young move in front of him. They kind of encourage him to stay with them, um, but he's spent. Um, Clayton Young and Connor Mance uh, go on to the finish. They finish one and two. And there was a pretty furious race for third, as it turns out. Um, Elkana Cabet caught up with Zach Panning and passed him, moved into third. Then with under a kilometer to go, Leonard Career, who finished fourth in 2020, ends up passing Elkana Cabet and moving into third. Leonard Career finished third. Elkana Cabet finished fourth. C.J. Albertson, uh, who we joked during the preview was going to do something that was a little bit crazy, uh, actually didn't do anything crazy over the course of the first uh, part of the marathon. Um, but he does have the distinction of running the fastest last mile of the day. Um, and and uh, with about a kilometer to go, looked up and realized that he had a possibility of making the team, um, but just wasn't quite able to close the gap all the way to Leonard Career and Elkana Cabet. He passed Zach Panning. He finished fifth um, in a PR, um, and then Zach Panning ends up finishing sixth. Um, just an incredible race to watch. Um, an amazing what was amazing that last mile was it 548 so it was uh you're talking about talking about uh cj albertson yes cj albertson from mile 25 to 26 ran 458 and it's a there's an, a little bit of an uphill in that mile yeah i said that backwards uh, 458 so, yeah 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 um and he probably if you were to go one mile back from the finish line so from 25.2 to 26.2 he was probably around 440 um, but, but yeah, he said that he didn't realize until he looked up with a kilometer to go that he actually had a shout, like all these people were suddenly spread out in front of him. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he was potentially going to be able to, to, uh, qualify. Um, Michelle, you, you say that wasn't a PR for him? I don't think that's a PR for CJ because he was over 210. Okay. Um, but, and it was he was actually a little bit upset when he found out the speed from 25 to 26. Mm -hmm. He felt like it was actually much faster, mm -hmm. but I would say that his post-race kind of interview it's on YouTube is so raw. You can see him processing, like he yeah. basically missed the Olympic team by 10 seconds. And he's literally sitting there trying to figure out like what other part of the race could he have come up with those 10 seconds. But yeah. I feel like that's uh both the beauty and the brutality of the Olympic trials. For sure. You don't get to go back and, and figure out those 10 seconds. Um, but he also said that when he passed Zach and he saw Kibet, that he had no idea that career had, like he just had, he didn't know um, mm. that that was sixth to fifth to what would have needed to be to fourth to third. Yeah. Um, he kept thinking, like he thought when he passed Zach that he had basically moved into third and then he saw Kibet mm. and it was sort of just kind of, not that he thinks that he had the space, um, but it kind of messed with him. And then yeah. to finish and realize that he wasn't even fourth, he was fifth. But yeah. I think it was it was really hard. He said when they picked up their last bottles around mile 22, nobody was anywhere in sight. Yeah. Um, so for him to have made up so much ground, you know, by like mile 25 and a half, mm -hmm. you know, we say this all the time, but he just kind of ran out of runway. Uh, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. what a fantastic, yeah. I mean, kudos to him. Yeah, I don't know. And, and so so let's let's actually pass out a few kudos here um, and, yeah. and do a few takeaways of the race. And one of my takeaways of the race is that um, I do think and and I think this every four years and I definitely think this with regards to the women's race, too. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes here. But the Olympic marathon trials 
are beautiful and cruel, man. Um, I mean, they, it, it makes for a very exciting race to watch, and I'm sure a very exciting race to run. Um, it is profoundly democratic. It's one of the most democratic things you'll find in American athletics. Um, but, but boy, it's cruel um, just to be that close to what is undoubtedly a lifelong dream for most of the people in the field. Um, and, and you just don't get it. Um, that's tough. That's obviously yeah. very hard. You know, um, he's the one guy who we thought would go out front and do what Zach Panning did. Mm -hmm. We actually thought he'd do more. Yeah. And I think if, if he wanted to be in the team, he needed to do that. My, my, my guess is that that's actually what he's saying to himself today okay. is that, that he, he, and Zach Penning was running super fast. Zach Penning was running between 40-45s and 450s, right? And so it's not like Zach was jogging and and CJ just sat in the pack jogging, right? Um, but my guess is that that um, CJ is probably wishing he would have taken more risks. Yeah. I think if um, the two of them would have shared the lead, the two of them would have fought it out for third place. Maybe. Because maybe. I think CJ has it in him. And I think that panning took too much of the pressure it mm -hmm. it was very clear about two miles into the last loop that zach was not going to make it yeah. it was just a matter of how long could he hang on yeah yeah, uh, yeah. so and i think and i think all of us wanted him to hang on everybody uh, because he had worked so hard <laughs> um but but yeah it, as soon as he really and truly fell off from connor and clayton which he did he stayed with them for half a mile, probably when 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 he started to falter and they moved in front of him. They stay he stayed with them for not very long, certainly less than a mile. But when he truly fell off from them and they started running miles that were twenty seconds faster than he was running, um, you knew that that he was probably not even going to finish third, and he didn't. Um, his his twenty sixth mile was over six minutes, as a matter of fact. Um, and so he, you know, kudos to him for, for, for toughing it out for sure. Um, I, so a couple other quick takeaways, um, you know, we, we've kind of touched on these, uh, one is that Zach Penning is a hero. <laughs> I mean, that guy deserves a congressional medal of honor. Um, and I, I, I was planning on joking with two of you as to when exactly are we going to officially rebrand this podcast as a Zach Penning podcast, um, what a fantastic and brilliant performance by him. Um, and what a gutsy thing to do um you know uh again the cruelty of the trials he doesn't get to go but but that race was was made by him i mean what a brilliant fantastic awesome race uh the Zach it Penning was a, it was a ones and zeros thing too somebody had to do it i don't know that he went into the race saying i'm going to do it he went into he the race saying somebody has to do it no he wanted and to be nobody the guy. else well but that just seems like such a poor race plan I, I, no, I, so so I, I think you're both right. I think you're both right. Before y'all start arguing, I'm, I'm going to say I think you're both right. Um, that, <laughs> that arguing I, with that, everybody today. <laughs> that that I, I think that he went in saying, we're going to run under 208.10. I'm going to help make that happen. I don't think he necessarily wanted to be doing it by himself. Um, I think that he would have liked it had there been somebody up there also sharing the pacemaking with him between 5 and 20. Um, but, but I think to the degree that there wasn't, to the degree that everybody let him sit on the front and run... 447 miles for 15 miles um then then um he was going to do it he was there for it um and that was heroic and amazing and let's be clear too there's a very small number of people even at that level here in the united states 
that can just click off those 447 miles the way that he wants. Um, and so, so I don't think it was necessarily folks saying, I'm going to let Zach do all the work. I think it was the fact that Zach was running really, really, really fast. I mean, look at the people who fell off the pace. Galen yeah, but look fell at the, off the pace. Yeah. Look at the two people who didn't. Those mm-hmm. two guys, they, they could have run faster. Okay, so one of them could have. One of them could have. So next takeaway I have is that that the 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 right people won. Yeah. Um Clayton and Connor, they were the two best runners coming in. They were the two fastest and strongest runners coming in. They are the two guys who have unlocked the two spots for the United States in the Olympic trial or in the Olympic marathon. Um the the right guys finished first and second. Um, and so it, it would have been kind of tragic if if one of them would have finished third and we don't have a third unlocked spot um, or or something else like that. And so there is that, too. And I think that's important. Um, I do think that that Clayton Young is clearly a hell of a guy um, for two reasons. Number one, his post-race interview, the very first thing he did is he gave a shout out to Zach Penny. And and he went on for a good minute about how important it was and how tough it was and how much they respect him and everything else like that, which I very much appreciate. Then he gives credit to everybody else, talks about Connor, talks about his coach, talks about his family, talks about all the other runners in the race. Um, I mean, what an all around great guy. But the second reason why I say that is because uh, I've seen an interview with him since then, and it was clear to everybody who was watching and, of course, clear to Clayton himself and obviously to Connor that Connor was struggling a lot more than Clayton was in those last couple of miles. And Clayton said that he decided with two miles to go that he was going to have fun. And so that's what you saw. Like Clayton's hyping up the crowd and he's high fiving people. At one point, he ran off the course thinking about trying to not off the course, but to the very side of the course, trying to, to find a flag so he could wave that coming through the finish line. Like he said, he made a decision with two miles to go that he was going to enjoy qualifying for the Olympic team, which I think is cool. Um, I think what he hasn't said, at least I haven't heard him say yet, is that he also made a decision with two miles to go that he needed to help Connor get to the finish line. At the start of the third lap, Connor felt better than Clayton, right? Because he turned around and he gave him that high five. Mm -hmm. But by six of eight miles into that third lap, Connor had nothing left. Connor said after that he thought he was just going to collapse. Agreed. Agreed. Once and, he and, got and, out and from everybody behind, see that. panning, and he realized, oh wow, Annie's been doing <laughs> a lot of the work for me. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly, um, that was that was obvious to everybody who was watching, right? That totally. That, uh, that that Connor was really struggling, and then Clayton looked great, and so Clayton says, "I'm going to help Connor get to the finish line. It's important to me not only that I qualify, but also that that Connor does as well." And so yeah. he stayed with him. And anybody who's ever run any race of any distance knows you're going to run better if you have somebody to run with. And so rather than dropping the pace, speeding off, and running away from his training partner, he stayed with his training partner, um, and the two of them came through the line together. Um, now he a let, little bit over two. He actually let Connor. He let Connor win the line yeah. first. Left. Yeah, he let Connor. That is the clear. Yeah. Yeah. No, he did. And 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 to me, like there, there's a whole there's a whole host of reasons why he might have let Connor win. Um, I think that the the biggest one is that he he didn't much care about whether he won. He cared about whether he qualified for the Olympic team, and that was about to happen. And he was just enjoying it and ensuring that that Connor was going to get there too. I think that he took a great deal of pride in the fact that he helped Connor qualify. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, and so, so I I think that that's the reason why I let Connor go ahead and cross first. Um, um, but yeah, I don't think there's 
a doubt in anybody's mind who was watching that, that, that if Clayton had decided with two miles to go that he really wanted to win this race, um, he could have done it. But had he done that, Nance might have ended up third. Yeah, Connor might have ended up third or even fourth or fifth. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I would say as badly as each of them wanted to be on this Olympic team, they wanted to make sure and be with each other more than they wanted it for just themselves. Yeah. And yeah. if either one of them found themselves in third place, that is a total shit show, basically, because they can't go unlock a spot for themselves. Yeah. And they've yeah. already unlocked the spot for whoever would have finished ahead of them in first or right. second. So right. I, I just I really I like what you said, George, about like the right people won this race. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and I would say that he owes a lot that they both owe a lot to panning mm -hmm. because panning's pace blew Absolutely. up everybody else's chances mm -hmm. of fighting for them, fighting for the finish. This could have been a completely different race if Panning had dropped off with 10 miles left. Agreed. Or, or if Panning hadn't race. gone to the front to push under 208 pace, uh, right. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Clayton Young and Connor Mance definitely owe several beers to Zach Panning, for sure. Um, and Connor Mance owes probably several beers to Clayton Young, too. So, um, <laughs> so, so, so yeah, so, uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, uh. Clayton did say that Connor, somebody said, is he going to buy you dinner? And Clayton was like, he's going to buy me many dinners. <laughs> that wave of the hand to break the tape is a $15,000 differential in prize yeah. money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, I don't think Clayton at the moment was thinking about the prize money, but I don't actually think that if he had the chance to think about it, he would do it any differently. I think mm -hmm. he was really just fired up. And man, it's pretty awesome to see somebody have a good time and you know finish a marathon and make the olympic team like i agree it for all fun. the heartbreak you have like one person coming across like that basically yeah. so who deserve to um yeah and 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 not coincidentally we've seen all these interviews with clayton over the course of the past 24 hours and we haven't seen any with connor <laughs> well I, you know? I actually think connor was in really bad shape like i, I would not be surprised if coach eidstone had him go to an ER or something just to get some yeah. type of fluids. I mean, he, no, that's what I'm saying. He looked like he was going to fall out of the chair at the presser after. Um, and it was right after, cause you could hear the women announcing the finishes. So mm -hmm. he just, he looked really bad. He, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but yeah. Worth mentioning also Connor Mance was wearing uh Nike alpha flies. Clayton Young was wearing an ASICS prototype. Um, so that we don't know a whole lot about. Um, and, and, uh, Leonard career was wearing, um, uh, Nike Alpha Flies. Yeah, um, I mostly mention that because as we segue into talking about the women's race here in just a second, I want to draw a great deal of attention to what the first and third women were wearing. <laughs> and the fact that there's no Nike on the podium. So absolutely. Um, <laughs> Michelle, tell us about the women's race. Um, yeah, so I think as we kind of previewed, we thought the men would be chasing that 208.10 and that there would be some form of going faster. Um, and we thought the women, you know, there was enough women that had the standard. Um, we were just looking for a top three. So we, I would say like, I don't know that we forgot to talk about the half marathon qualifiers in detail. We talked um, about Jenny Simpson. Yeah, we talked about Jenny Simpson, but we forgot to talk about Fiona O'Keefe. Mm -hmm. who at the time, Alistair Craig, who's Amy Hastings Craig's husband, um, who's the coach of like the Puma Elite training group in Chapel Hill, he had said leading in that if Amy had had the buildup that Fiona had had, she'd be super confident in making the team. So, 
you know, I think a lot of people had Fiona as a dark horse, um, not so much because questioning her fitness, but just questioning the experience. Um, she is like a 67 minute half marathoner. So we knew she could run fast, but yesterday she proved that she could run faster than every other American uh, female marathoner. So as the race started, you know, you had all your favorites kind of up front and they did that 2.2 mile loop. And I feel like that was a really good way to start the race for Orlando and the local organizing committee who laid out the race course. Cause it seemed like that was just kind of a way for people to get the nerves out and, mm -hmm. and sort of lock into, okay, now we're heading out on this eight mile loop and we're going to do this three times. And the goal is like literally survival of the fittest. Um, so you saw, you know, Kira D'Amato up front, you saw Sarah Hall a bit up front. Um, we did see Emily Sisson go to the front in the beginning of the race. I think she wanted to make the pace a little bit more honest. And then it looked like she was dropping back. But if you were watching the splits, she was always within like a second of the leader. She might've been in 10th place on the screen, um, but she was never more than two seconds back. So I think she ran the smartest race of the women contenders yesterday who have the marathon experience. Um, she kind of got them going, but then she basically protected herself in the pack for the majority of the hard parts of the race, really. Um, as the race and the, got and the, and the women were running. Like, yeah. I, I, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting you and I apologize, but it's the, okay. the, the thing that struck me the most about the way the women's race unfolded is because, is that I did expect it to be more pedestrian. Um, I did expect them to run a little bit slower because they already have the three spots unlocked. They didn't have that, that drive to try and unlock a third spot with a really fast time like Zach Panning did, like the men's race did. Like, they could just run under 229.30 and and they'd go. And most of them had already done that. Like they could run 240 in the top three were probably going to go. And so there was no real incentive for them to go fast except to make it an honest race. And that's what they did. Um, yeah. They went out on 221, 222 pace. Um, and that's ultimately won the, what won the race. So yeah. I, I, I was really just surprised that it was not more of a, of a slow tactical affair, that it was a lead pack got formed in that opening two mile loop and, and the winners all came from that lead pack. Yeah. I think they cut it down to 12 or 14 runners and pretty early with the split screen, I couldn't decide which race I wanted to watch more <laughs> for, the, for the longest time. It was the Zach panning show. So he's just out front and I'm like, keep going, talk about the women, go back and talk about mm -hmm. the women, you know, because theirs was still a little bit up in the air. The front's changing. They're talking about all the different runners. It's not just, Zach Panning is still leading this group. <laughs> Zach Panning. Oh, look at that, you know, great effort by Zach Panning. Mm -hmm. And so I thought you're right. It was not a pedestrian affair. It was pretty exciting. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. I'll say that as the race went on, it just became clear that the front runners, um, and literally when I say this, four out of five of the women who were at the press conference did not finish the race. Um, so people started peeling off, you know, pretty quickly. Um, there was a lot of Kira D'Amato when she was in it up front, Sarah Hall when she was up front, um, Caroline Rodich when she was up front, Betsy Sena had a lot of kind of the camera on her. And the only one, you know, that really was also up front and kind of stayed up front the whole time and then strung the race out was the eventual winner, Fiona O'Keefe. Yeah. And I will say that only once she got about five feet of separation from the pack, she looked like she was way more comfortable out front. Like she just looked like she was flying. Mm -hmm. um, and Funny. what the rest of them, the rest of them looked like they were getting to the finish. She yeah. like, in, in yeah. fact, 
they actually said at one point, and I agree with it 100%. Well, now that she started to speed up, she actually looks a little more fluid. She did. (laughs) And she did. It was, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think like most people had Emily Sisson on that podium and she just played her cards right and held on. And once she kind of broke away into second, she held it. Um, I don't know that third was ever really like that much of a shocker. Once Dakota Lindworm took over third, I mean, Betsy, Kira dropped out at 20. Betsy dropped out at 22. Sarah Hall got a bunch of cramps and she fell back a bit, but she stormed back and, you know, finished fifth place. So that's her highest finish ever in her eighth Olympic trials. It was both amazing and heartbreaking to see her kind of in that fifth place spot. But, you know, behind Fiona and Emily was Minnesota, also um, a runner for Puma, Dakota Lindworm, who's like a blue collar runner, right? She's going to wake up and she has a nine to five job. Yeah. Yeah, Like when people ask her. So does her coach. Yeah. Yeah. How how, how was your weekend? You know, she might have like the best (laughs) Monday morning story of all time. Uh, But she just held on. She locked into third place and Mm -hmm. she just looked really good. You know, at the very end, fourth place is people feel like she's an unknown. Um, I'll just, as like a side story, I was running with a friend last week and uh, Sarah Lesko had come through Atlanta and, and you know, she said, Sarah Lesko has this dark horse pick and uh, this is Sarah Lesko, formerly of Wazelle. And I was like, oh, I think it's Jess Tan. And, but she couldn't remember the name. And then as soon as I saw her come in in fourth place, she's now Jess McLean. Um, but she is, a, she is, was a former standout at Stanford. So it's right. pretty cool. I never expected her to cross fourth. I totally thought it was going to be like Sarah or Caroline, but we missed kind of because, because she because she moved up so quickly. She moved up so quickly. I yeah. know. Um, so you know, Fiona's in, Emily's in, Dakota's in. We also lost the screen, right? Because when the men finished and they just kept the camera on the men's finish line, we kind of missed the like final shakeup of what ended up being first, second, third on the woman's camera because they stayed on the men for so long, mm. which I thought was one of the bummers of the broadcast, honestly. For sure. Um, but you know, I think. McKenna Myler came in top 10, Lindsay Flanagan, who I had picked, I thought would be pretty close to the podium. Um, that's a little bit further back than I expected to see her, but I would say, you know, Emily Durgan was also one of the women that you saw the whole time on the screen. And mm-hmm. she actually collapsed, like, I don't know, maybe five meters before the finish line and, you know, nobody, and she got up and, and she walked across um, and she walked across maybe like half a foot before Annie Frisbee came flying in behind her hmm. uh, for 10th place. So I feel like if you look at the top 10, most people look at that and like they know Emily Sisson's name and they know Sarah Hall's name. But then there's like eight other yeah. women that is the future of women's marathoning in America looks yeah. very bright. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I think, you know, I said yesterday, today is a day where there's going to be so much heartbreak and Mm -hmm. the one thing about watching this race is you're reminded over and over again that like the marathon owes nobody a damn thing right (laughs) right like there was so much carnage out there Mm -hmm. um and i think a little bit of it is training a little bit of his talent but like a little bit of his luck also like if you felt if you felt good yesterday you know, as the temperatures climbed from like 58 to 70 something degrees mm-hmm. on black asphalt and exposed, ugh, you had a good chance. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was great. It was, it was what the trials is supposed to be. I mean, that's mm -hmm. why we run the trials. So yeah. my hero of the women's race, you could easily say Fiona O'Keefe because of what she did. Yeah. But I, I think it's Sarah Hall. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, and you just touched on it. How many, how many trials has she run? Eight. This is her eighth Olympic trials. She's Over... been through six Olympic cycles. So, and this is, and she did DNF the marathon in LA in 2016. She has not had a good performance in the heat. Nobody thought she'd be in the top five. She believed she could, but yeah, I, I, I would have loved to have seen her on the podium. But is that she... about 20, is it 20 something years, 24 years? Mm -hmm. yeah. Six cycles would be 20, yeah. 24 years. So that is one less year than O'Keefe has been alive. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good I'm point. Just, I'm just pointing that out. You know, this that that lady is amazing. And yeah. I don't I did not feel like she looked comfortable really at any point in the race. And maybe mm -hmm. that's just her running style. I was gonna she say she 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 often she often looks, looks like, that. like that though. Yeah. Okay. Her 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 running style looks kind of pained. Um I've noticed that before. Mm -hmm. I just felt like her his the the historical nature of her running, having her best finish yet, mm -hmm. and running against people who started their lives when she started running Olympic <laughs> trials. Yeah, you know, and many many years after she started running, I think that's pretty impressive. For sure. So that was my that was my first point. That's my a good second point. point. I'll, I'll one thing I'll add to that real quick is that she said that the cramping she had yesterday was as bad as the cramping she had in 2016 in Los Angeles. Yeah. But in Los Angeles, she chose to drop out, whereas yesterday she chose to finish. Um, out. And so so yeah, um, that had to. The pain was enough to have made her drop out of former races. <laughs> that and she decided to finish that was a painful painful finish for her so kudos to her for that so that was my first point my second point is fiona o'keefe didn't just win the race she is not just part of the olympic team she also is um, the owner of three firsts for the olympic trials she is the first uh debut marathon runner to win the trials mm -hmm. uh, she set the trials record mm -hmm. and she is the youngest winner of the trials it's impressive. Beating beating the legend, Joan Benoit Samuelson. Right on. And and to the point of that was the first uh Olympic trials for the US that Joan Benoit Samuelson won. So that record has stood since the first. So that's that's an impressive day. Oh yeah. For Fiona. So and that, I'm going back to what Michelle said. She she was she was incredible. This is the future. This is the future. At least for the the near the near term future, near midterm future of U.S. Uh, women's Olympic running. Fiona was was fabulous. Um, she the way that she went to the front around 14, 15 miles, and then just gradually pulled away, and then just that lead grew and grew and grew and grew. I mean, it was it was super impressive. And um, fabulous about it, and fearless. Her, her longest race is the point at which she said, "All right." See you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the half marathon point, she said, you know, yeah. we're going to start running now. Well, well, she, well she, she got past the half marathon and she said, she says, oh, I, I know how to race this distance, the remaining <laughs> distance, right? <laughs> yeah. We're going to start the race now. We're just going to call yeah. it a half marathon. No, just we're going to start now. Um, worth mentioning, um, she finished with blood smeared across her bib. Um, and of course, as we're watching that, um, it's it's like, what's going on? Like, what is that on her bib? 
Um, I, I assume that she had a cut maybe on her hand or something else like that. And she touched her bib at some point, but, uh, Michelle, what was it? It was chafing. She had gels in her sports bra and they mm -hmm. just, she just chafed and got bloody and, you know, who knows rookie mistake, right? She probably won't wear that sports bra or keep those gels there again, but what are you going to yeah. do? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to Paris. So your body yeah. will heal. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So, um, kudos to her. Other big takeaways from the race, Michelle. Puma shoes are amazing. If yes, I think they about, are. <laughs> if Puma I think fan. about the amount of money Hoka just spent on the marketing yeah. for this stupid Cielo, Cielo, yeah. you know, shoe, um, which by the way, none of the women wore, they all wore the Rocket X2. Right. And then Puma just kind of comes out. I'm pretty sure it's a Deviate Nitro Elite 3. We probably won't see it on sale for another four to six months, but you know, Puma on the podium twice, right? And we have also like Molly Seidel from 2020 and going to Tokyo in 2021. Like talk about a company that's just kind of slowly pushing into the running track and field road, you know, and kicking ass. I mm -hmm. feel like they don't have these huge billboards and they don't have these, you know, crazy marketing campaigns and they don't have the whole streetwear following the way that Hoka does. But man, they are putting women on podiums and yeah. they are setting records. And first of all, I'm elated not to see a Nike shoe on the podium. Hmm. Um, I feel like 2016, the Nike situation still just kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Um, so to continually see more and more shoes kind of catch up and maybe even surpass Nike when it comes to that race day shoe for the marathon, um, that was like a huge takeaway. There, There's hmm. no way you can watch that race and not be thinking like Puma, Puma, like, what do they offer me? For sure. Um, yeah. For, for so. <laughs> a while there, as just before, before Fiona O'Keefe really ran away from it and there was a, a lead pack of about 10. Um, and, and at that point it was really starting to shake out, but there were, there were three women from Puma yeah. noticeably in that pack. Well, because um, Annie Frisbee's, yeah, Annie right. Frisbee stayed up there um, for right. a long time. So, you know, and I think Natasha Rogers is another uh, Puma elite runner. She didn't have the most amazing marathon debut yesterday, but I think we're, you know, we're just getting started seeing her. So I, I yeah. love what, you know, I think we've over and over kind of expressed our admiration of the company and the product. So, yeah, uh, um, it's, it's worth mentioning. So, so I wore, this is not worth the rest, what's, what's worth mentioning, but, <laughs> but I, I, I wore, I wore the, the Puma uh, Nitro Fast R in London um, and I wore it in Austin and I wore it in Berlin, right? So, so uh, Puma is my go-to company as, as anybody who listens closely to this podcast knows for, for running shoes over the course of the past few years. Um, but I really like the Fast R for marathons. I think it's a fabulous shoe. Um, I'm not sure. You mentioned that they were wearing perhaps the the Deviate Nitro Elite 3. That might be so. I think they might have been wearing the, the Fast R2 that also hasn't been released yet. Um, just not sure um, exactly what it was, but but uh, we'll see. Uh, I'm going to go with Michelle on this one. So I mean, I, I did I, ask I, I, my... would, I would defer to Michelle for sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that's always wise. So <laughs> the problem... The problem with the fast R, it has something to do with the winged plate. And when all of the women who went both like to Germany and in North America to do the testing, they, and, and Molly actually speaks about this, but they're not really efficient. Uh, like they don't have kind of like the oomph to make that shoe work for them the way that the DV8 Nitro does. Because even in Chicago, like 
Yeah, even in Chicago, you saw most of the Puma women wearing yeah. um, the Deviate Nitro Elite twos. Including so, Molly, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, do you mean that they, they essentially they're not heavy enough to activate the plate? Is that what you're saying? I forget the exact word that Molly used, but right. it was yeah, and it just it had something to do with that. So well, I, I mean, it is interesting because you know I think if it if it were up to Puma that the fast star would have been kind of like what Saucony wants with like the endorphin elite and what Nike wants with, you know, the alpha fly over the vapor fly, but it does right. sort of look like the Puma marathoners are not really gravitating towards that fast star the way that we might've expected, but mm -hmm. it's ugly. you know, it is so, ugly. It is um, not like, ugly. It is ugly, George. <laughs> it is ugly. ugly it looks like my feet are on fire when I'm running on them. And it feels that way too, the mentally and the physically. The, the color, <laughs> the the color doesn't matter. It's the shape of the shoe. It's a funny looking shoe. So fair, fair point, um, fair point. I have another takeaway. Let's hear. I think Emily Sisson is just like knows how to make teams. Yeah. Um, I think we saw it in the 10K. You know that hot, hot trials um, for Tokyo, and I think we just see somebody who kind of just like puts their head down, doesn't care about any of the fancy stuff. Her husband's her main training partner. She's got Ray Tracy as a coach. It's like, she's not part of one of these big flashy teams, um, but she just, when she has a job to do these last several years, she seems to just kind of knock it out of the park. Mm -hmm. And I think after the heartbreak of the DNF in, in 2020, it was really good just to kind of, I mean, you wait four years to, to fix that wrong. Right. And yeah. when you can turn it on a kind of a 180 and, and, and nail it, it's, it's a nice kind of redemption story. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, for all the heartbreak of the other favorites yesterday, it was good. It was really good to see kind of one of the people who I think most people had picked for their podium actually mm -hmm. land on the podium. So. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I was happy to see that too. She, it's worth mentioning, was wearing uh, a New Balance. Um, which New Balance was it, Michelle? Um, I think she wears like a super comp racer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's something that I think is unique to her though, isn't it? I do. Yeah. I mean, I do think that they made this like, I don't know if it's pacer or racer, but they made the shoe because she's not really interested in the elite. Like that didn't work for her at all. She needed more of like a racing flat style mm -hmm. and feel. Um, mm -hmm. So this shoe was definitely like brought into the super comp line and, and basically made essentially for her. But I know like I have a bunch of friends that are finding it to be a fantastic shoe for them also. Mm -hmm. um, people that kind of just grew up racing in the nineties and the early two thousands that don't yeah. really want anything to do with like all the super shoes. Yeah. I think this happens to be sort of a crowd favorite um, for, mm -hmm. for various distances. Um, I yeah. think, yeah, I, I don't know. Jill Braley, who's a phenomenal master's runner for Atlanta track club. I, I think she's worn it recently for mm -hmm. some much shorter stuff. One mile races, five Ks and, if I'm getting this wrong, it's probably ridiculous yeah. that I'm getting it new, wrong, new, but you know. <laughs> well, new, new, Balance, new Balance bills it as a 5K, 10K racer. Um, yeah. yeah they, they build it as, as a low profile 5K, 10K racer, which, you know, somebody who's as fast as Emily Sisson can pull off a 5K, 10K racer for, for a marathon. Um, but yeah, it's much lower profile. And that's that's the one thing. If you just look, simply look at a picture of it, um, it's she's not standing three inches taller than she she would be barefooted. Um uh, when she's wearing these shoes, the way that people are when they're wearing Alpha Flies or or, or some of the other really high stack super shoes. So I have a quick question. We haven't ever talked about alternates for the marathon. How does that work with on the men's side 
can you be an alternate if you haven't made the standard and if we haven't unlocked the third spot? Okay, so so good question. And that was actually one thing that I wanted to to mention when talking about the men's race is that, okay, so Leonard Career finished third and he was psyched. And, and you know, they're showing on the broadcast, hey, you finished third, here's our Olympic team. It's like, eh, not really. Um, <laughs> because as of right now, Leonard Career would not get to go. Um, and so so what's actually supposed to happen with him? He has run under 211.30. And so he is eligible to go if we can unlock another spot. Um, but in order to unlock another spot, some American is going to have to run under 208.10, which it would be kind of cool. I heard on another podcast, they were saying it would be cool if a whole bunch of American marathoners got together and did like Operation Keymaster and tried to unlock that third spot for Leonard Career. How cool would that be? And I agree, it would be very cool. And then... Uh, if an American finishes in the top five at London, at Boston, or at Tokyo, that would unlock the spot that then Leonard Career could could fill for the Olympic Games. The interesting thing about it is that Leonard Career himself can't unlock a third spot, except for through rankings, which we'll talk about here in just a second. Leonard Career cannot go out in Tokyo, Boston, or or London and try and finish top five himself because USATF has said He's not allowed to run a marathon between now and the Olympic Games. Um, they're not going to recognize that. All right, so there's a third way, though, that that potentially Leonard Career could have that spot unlocked for him or even potentially unlock it himself. Michelle, explain to us the road to Paris rankings list. Well, we're looking, quote unquote, for the top 80 um, and Leonard Career's chances of getting that third Olympic spot basically the results moves Scott Fobble into 68th on the road to Paris list after yesterday. So we're basically hoping that if 13 men don't pass him between now and May 5th, don't pass Scott on the ranking list, then that ranking of that American man who is Scott Fobble will basically unlock the spot for him to take that third spot and actually go to Paris and run in the Olympic marathon. Um, but it's a little crazy. I mean, it's February 4th and he won't know until May 5th if he's going to be an mm -hmm. Olympian. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens ahead of LA. I can't imagine that this whole thing isn't going to be revamped because it's definitely a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> we'll see. Um, Leonard Career could potentially boost his own ranking um, by going out and running a, a half marathon or a 25K or 30K, because USATF is willing to let him do that. Um, uh, but there's not a whole lot of those on the calendar over the course of the next few months here. Um, and so we'll see. Um, but yeah, there's still three world marathon majors, plus several other smaller races between now and May 5th um, that other runners around the world can use to boost their rankings that would push Scott Fobble and Leonard Career and the rest of the Americans down the list and thereby not enable Leonard Career to go into a third unlocked spot. We'll see. Fingers uh, crossed for Leonard Career for sure. For sure. Uh, do you think that it's, I feel like 13 men, the way that people are running so incrementally faster these days, that the amount of opportunities there are, I, I feel like the media is pretty content that for sure 13 men aren't going to pass the 68th spot between now and May 5th. But I don't understand why people are like so confident that that that, that that's not going to happen. I feel like that would be so easy for 13 men to pass that. Yeah, you know? but remember, remember, and this is- What am I again, missing? <laughs> again, this is part of the, how, how ridiculous that list is. The, the list, it only has three people per country on it. 
And so, so there's certainly going to be 13 people from various countries, Japan, Ethiopia, and Kenya, probably alone over the course of the next couple of months that run super fast and, and would potentially push the Americans down the rankings. Um, but you only get three people from per country, country per right. list, right? Okay. And so what you would need in order to push them down the list would be people from countries that don't already have three people on that list showing up on the list and moving in front of Scott Fobble and Leonard Career. So do you think he goes? Man, I don't know. <laughs> you, need, you need either people who aren't already on the list or people who are on the list below them. Right. Or people yeah. from countries on the list below them. Right. Yeah. So I just want to be clear. I'm, I totally, I, more than anything, I would love to see us send three men. I would love mm -hmm. the storyline of, you know, fourth place finisher in 2020 spends four years, makes the team gets to go four years later. Um, I just, I'm not as confident as like Jonathan Gall, but, but if like history, you know, he probably has a better, a better wrap around this whole thing than I do. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm fingers crossed for him because I'm just nervous for him. Feel like three months is a long time to have to sit there and... i agree i feel like he's nervous too um, well he has to but, he has to assume but he was so happy yesterday like yeah. it was it was so good to see him like yeah. he was genuinely happy and i feel like he he will be okay even if he potentially doesn't get to go to paris because he's so proud of having gotten fourth four years ago having stuck with it and having come back and gotten third this time i hope I so know. I hope so. Just... I would much rather him get to go. Um, totally. But perhaps, yeah. Yeah. And I agree. He did he not address my question. All right. So what's your question? Your question was about alternates. Um, right. And so so on the men's side, let's say if, the men's side, if there's a third spot unlocked, let it goes to Leonard Career. If Leonard Career can't do it, then, then it would go to Elkanah Cabet, who finished fourth. Yeah. Um, because he's also run under to 1130. So if, if one of the two... Mance or Young doesn't run, does career fill that spot? Yes. Yes. Okay. Then so the alternate, alternate. Mm -hmm. the fact that alternates are based solely on place during the trials and it has nothing to do with any of the other rules. So the United States gets to determine who gets to go as long as they have made those standards. Um, and so anybody who's run under 1130, the United States can send on the men's side um, okay. to fill those two spots. Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of people they, they, they could send that have run under 21130 that ran under 21130 yesterday. Right. But, but typically the United States has just gone down the list. And so career yeah. would fill up Mance's spot if Mance can't go. If Mance and career can't go and we still only have two spots, then it goes to, to fourth place. Yeah. Cabet. Um, and then it goes to fifth place. Albertson. So, so the, on the women's side though, they could say, well, Molly Seidel. No, because well. yeah. Molly didn't run the trials. Um, okay. You said yeah. they could choose anybody, but they have to do, they have to run they, the trials. They, they, they could choose anybody, but in the United States, we always go to the trials. Yeah. In other Understood. countries, they would choose, they, they could choose by committee, right? And, and, and we have, when it's come to the world championships and stuff like that in the, ha in the past, um, chosen by committee. Um, but, but in the Olympics, we've, typically cho chosen by trials for the past several decades. Yeah. And that makes sense. Alternates. Yeah. yeah. That's why I asked the question just because I didn't, I didn't know the, the mm -hmm. standard or, or whether there were rules around it. 
Yeah. I will Fair say question, that I, given how confusing the whole thing is. Yeah. I, I do think Jess is the happiest fourth place finisher at an Olympic trials I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. I mean, she first one out, but she is, she is living it up. And, you know, I think, uh, it's going to be awesome to, to follow her trajectory over the next four years. And she won't be unsponsored in four years. That's exciting. She probably won't be unsponsored in four months. <laughs> <laughs> in four hours. She's probably yeah, going to pick up a sponsor, right? which is good. And she should. So, yeah. Absolutely. She's got her social media. <laughs> yeah. It depends on what, what, what her footprint is on Instagram. I guess oh we'll gosh. Out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> on that note, on that note, Eric, thanks for reviewing with us. This actually ended up being a more thorough review than I expected it to be, but we, we appreciate you being here, buddy. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Michelle, I missed getting to watch with you yesterday. That was a bummer for me. Um, so I'm glad that we got to spend some time today and actually review back over it. Yeah, it was great. And we have, what, eight or 10 days of track trials in June. We could we could make up a, a missed viewing. All right. <laughs> Can't wait. Thanks, y'all. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Don't forget to check out our new website that we're building in early 2024, mostpleasantexhaustion.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast or on Instagram at mostpleasantexhaustion. We're available on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell your friends and don't forget to give us a rating. We also offer coaching services through MPE Coaching. You can reach out to us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com at mpecoach at gmail.com or just click on the coaching link on the podcast website. Again, that's www.mostpleasantexhaustion.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com, at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. Check out High Echelon PC at highechelonCPA.com. Big thanks to our sponsor, Elemental Altitude. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com on Instagram at elementalaltitude or on Facebook at facebook.com slash elementalaltitude. And finally, thanks to our newest sponsor, Bright Hair. You can find them at brighthair.com or on Instagram at bright period hair. On behalf of Michelle Frank and Eric Hall, thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. <laughs>